we, we get led by peace. And those moments when you're making those ridiculous decisions, you stop and you look at the data and sometimes you have to take the data and throw it into the trash because you know in your gut that it's like, nah, this is meant to be, let's go. This is Ruckus Makers, a show about entrepreneurs where the mission matters and the status quo isn't an option. I am your host and producer, Scott Whipple, and in today's season finale episode, I'm sitting down with Zach Reinard and learning about his lifelong dream of starting a business to take care of people. Zach Reinard, welcome to the show. We're excited to have you on. It's been a long time coming. It's been uh, requested a whole bunch, um, so we're excited to have you here. Obviously, uh, the turntables are switched a little bit and you're on, on that side. How's it feel to have everyone see the right side of your face? The right side, that one, uh, truthfully, honestly, a little nervous. It's a little weird. I feel like in that seat, I have a little more control and no one's there to hear me talk. And in this one, people hopefully are here to hear me talk and it's just kind of weird. Okay. I, I can, I relate to that. Uh, so for everyone watching and listening that doesn't know, I usually edit these episodes. So I feel very close to the show. Um, I know the cadence and I know the rhythm and I know all the questions, but having never sat here, uh, yeah, in the hot seat, the, the pressure's on a little for weird. sure. Yeah. A little weird. Uh, so we're just going to dive into it. We're going to, uh, embrace it. Uh, tell me about young Zach Reinard. Young Zach Reinard. Oh man. How old? Give me an age. Uh, let's start at like seven. Seven. Yeah. Just moved here from Elko, Nevada. Um, was living obviously with my parents. Um, yeah. Loved video games, loved action figures, kind of a nerdy kid. Um, first grade, second grade time frame was probably, yeah. Uh, didn't like school even then, uh, and and acted out and spoke a lot and tried to make kids laugh. I'm not a funny person, so I look back at that and I'm like, how did that work? I just must have been really annoying, you know what I mean, or loud. Um, but yeah, I was just yeah, just a young kid. Had good family, you know, good parents, and and uh, yeah. So tell me about your parents. Tell me about your your family. You come from a, a pretty big kind of blended family. Yeah, um, blended family. Two older brothers are technically half brothers, but we grew up. Um, together we grew up. You know, they were they were our family. That we never thought of them as half brothers. Uh, mom and dad were together. No divorce. You know, stuff. Um, it was uh, a good, happy family. My dad uh, was an entrepreneur. Worked for uh, the lumberyard industry. Uh, did a lot of that. And my mom. I remember like going to work with her when she worked in a couple clothing stores. And I remember like sleeping on the floor in clothing stores. Like I look back at that, thinking like, man, they let my mom bring kids to work and like sleep on the floor and like right. hide in the racks like multiple times. I actually look at that thinking, wow, that was a funny memory that I remember that because I had to have been five or, or under, you know what I mean? It was nap time. So like if you take a nap, like you had to be pretty young, which is kind of funny. Might be one of my earliest memories. Um, but then she was raising five kids. I'm the youngest of five. And so mom was busy at home doing all the home stuff and dad was gone a lot. He worked a lot. He worked, oh, 17 hour days, most days. Like you, I don't remember seeing him in the morning for breakfast stuff. And I really don't remember seeing him at night very much. It was more of like, if there was like school events or things like that, I'd see him or if there was, um, yeah, 
like uh, dinners, like family dinner. If there was like a family dinner, like at seven o'clock or something like that, I'm guessing I'd, I'd see him. But I just don't remember a lot of the early years of him being there that much. But mm-hmm. didn't feel like he didn't love me as much. It just he just worked a lot, and I saw him on weekends and those types of things. But yeah. So were the the positive attributes of entrepreneurship, or even the negative, were those modeled for you by your parents as a kid? No, uh, they didn't talk about it at all. They, I just, I just kind of. Being the youngest of five, you see all your family members do the things that they do, and you watch their decisions, and you think, I don't want to make that decision. I want to make a different decision um, or, or do it differently than that person did. But my parents never pushed us to be entrepreneurs. Um, I think I think it just, it, I don't know. I, our family just naturally probably lean more that way. With mm-hmm. Both of my parents are very opinionated. Um, they're very uh, driven and they want to do it their way. And um, they're very talented people at the same time too. And so I think they, they really drove a lot to to push that. But they never once were like, hey, Zach, you should go sell trading cards on the playground. Like no one ever said that. And yet there you were selling. S- still did stuff like that. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, so tell me about that. You one day just decided I'm going to go hawk trading cards to classmates. Yeah, so that's fourth grade. We'll back up. One of the stories I tell is in first grade. Um, you could go to the office and buy these like taffy candies with like the little chunks in them. I don't remember what what brand they are, but it's like a Laffy Taffy, but they're purple. They're purpling pink, they're, like this long, you know, eight inches long or so. And and it was funny because you'd you'd hold it and there'd be like these little crunchy things and you just, you could buy them at the store but you could go and buy them there for a dollar or 50 cents something like that. I remember doubling the price and selling them to kids on the playground knowing that like they could go to the office yeah. and like buy them uh but they didn't have the money I guess or I, I don't know. I don't know. I sold them on the playground. Uh did that for a while. I didn't make a ton of money. It might have been 20 or 30 bucks like uh before that just didn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. They actually stopped letting kids buy it, buy candy from the from the <laughs> office. I totally remember that. Um so yeah they should they shut down your racket <laughs> shut down my racket or my business uh you know something happened there and then in fourth grade it was trading cards and what i would do is is uh you can buy a booster pack which is like 13 cards and then like cards you know 11 12 and 13 are typically the the foil card the the valuable rare card and then like a bonus card or whatever it could be typically would take those three cards out bundle the other 10 cards with other booster packs keep all the valuable cards and sell bulk decks for like 20 bucks a pop and so you could get like a hundred cards for 20 bucks which at the time like it it was a good deal like you could get a lot of cards and if you were just trying to get into the game it was great now i had all the good cards (laughs) but uh yeah sold sold quite a few of those too that um that's pretty next level for that age um yeah good for you uh did that you know what what came after that after Pokemon cards, after Yu-Gi-Oh cards, what was your next sort of entrepreneurial, um, what'd you set your sights on? Okay, this is going to be nerdy, and I've actually never told this story. I used to play a lot of MMO games, multiplayer, massive multiplayer online games, mm-hmm. which have real-world economies that that people don't, uh, they may not know that about those types of games because you play online with other people. And my first time, um, let's see here, I'm probably about 10, 11, 12 years old at this time. Uh, I would always play a profession or a character or something where you could sell a product or a service or something. And uh, in, in a lot of MMO games, I started learning how to make a lot of money through through fake 
fiction-based games. And, it, and it's so funny because I look back now and I'm like, oh man, if only that was real money, like that <laughs> would have been a whole different, whole different world. Um, but yeah, that's, that was the next. I know that sounds cheap, but I learned a lot from, from that yeah. type of thing. And then I, and I continue to do that all the time. Like, um, whether it was ninth grade selling donuts, right. And, and between classes, and it, I was always kind of doing something that was bringing in money. And particularly sales, you're not out there providing services. It's, yeah. It's uh, product transactions. Is that? Tell me, tell me how you <laughs> landed there, because there's a lot of ways to make money in this world. Correct. Yep. No, my brother mowed the lawn every day, and he, uh, he not every day. Sorry, every once a week for my dad and for the house, and and I remember watching him out there like work so hard, <laughs> suffering. Yeah. And my and my dad was in the lumberyard business, and I actually went and worked with him for like two days. Like I think I, and I think I made $5.50 an hour. And I realized that is not going to make it happen. That's not going to work for me. Like, I'm sorry. And, uh, and I realized you can make money talking and, and talking to people and, and convincing them to buy something that'll make their life better or worse when I was younger. So eventually you did start uh, making money with talking. Tell me about that. You, you go through high school. Did yeah. you have any, any, uh, I'll say legit on the up and up, not looked down hey. on by the school board sales jobs. <laughs> they were legit. I made money. People were happy. The moms and dads weren't as happy. Okay. Um, you know, I'm not gonna lie. My kid got sold in school and he, and he like spent 20 bucks and some kid like gave him a bunch of Pokemon cards and Joel bought that. I wouldn't know whether to feel angry or proud. Like it's one of those moments where yeah. you're like, mm, well done, kid. You got Joel. Um, yeah, got married young at 19. Uh, Merle and I met at church youth group, uh, part of the worship team, music ministry stuff. It's been awesome. Uh, is awesome. And and uh, we, yeah, we just met there. And so uh, out of high school, I went to ministry school for a year. I went to like a, like a music school to, for like worship ministry and like contemporary Christian churches, um, non-denominational churches, if you want to say it that way. And uh, that was a tough time in my life where where I was looking at uh, going into ministry full time. Actually, interviewed for jobs all over the country. Almost moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, wow. uh, to take a job as a as a worship pastor over there. Like it was like the final stage of like, all right, we're gonna do this. Like we have the offer. Like yes or no. Mm-hmm. Um, and we ended up staying. Um, but I had to make money during that time, right? Like I ended up not taking the pastoral job. It was kind of still back and forth, was working you know, on the side at the time and was working at Sprint. Um, the way that I got that job was I was driving down Blue Lakes here in Twin Falls and there was a sign on a reader board that said, now hiring. And I literally walked in there and said, I need a job. Like I'm getting married in three months, quite literally I'm getting married in three months and I need a job. I have to be able to pay something like you know, my other, my previous work before then was like a host at a restaurant and other sales side mm-hmm. projects, things like that. But it was just that now I had to make money at that point. Like I had to provide and Marilla's dad was very kind and generous with me. And and, and every time I sit down with him, he'd stop and look at me and he'd say, Hey Zach, um, what's your plan, man? What are you, what, what, what are you doing next? And I, and, it, and I, I look back and I'm like, man, he was so kind. There's no way I would ever let a kid <laughs> talk to my daughter without like a plan, like, or even having a job. And the fact that we were engaged and had a dates and everything. And so I ended up getting that job. I walked into Sprint and the manager there, Tina uh, was her name. And, and I just said, I want a job here. And she was like, well, why do you want a job here? And I said, well, I'm getting married in three months and I need to make some money. And she was like, okay, how much money do you want to make? And I said, $50,000 a year. And she kind of smirked at that number. And I was like, it's the number. And she said, okay, how are you going to make that money? 
And I'm thinking by working here, but clearly she doesn't want that. She wants another answer. And I said, well, obviously commission plus base sounds reasonable to me. And I'm making this up on the fly. I don't even of know course. if they pay commission. I'm just <laughs> going for it. And, uh, and she says, okay, like, what are you talking about? I said, I don't know. Like, if it was like 10 bucks an hour plus commissions, I mean, I'm doing the math kind of in my head as I'm saying, like, she can tell. She can, like, read my face, like, this kid's totally BSing this way through this. And uh, and she gave me a job and said, hey, uh, the next day, real quick, the next day she said, go and uh, come back and work with some customers tomorrow in our store and we'll see what happens there. And so I showed up the next day, like, in nicer clothes, was ready to go. And I'm helping customers for Sprint. And I don't work at Sprint, full disclosure. I'm like, I'm a customer at the time. I think I was with AT&T type of thing. You know what I mean? Like, and, um, and it was funny because I sat down on this machine. She's like, start helping customers. So I agreed to this guy. And, his, and he literally had a phone that had a swollen battery. And I looked over the side of the room and there was some machine in the side of the room. And I'm like, man, that thing must test batteries. Like Sprint must have a way to like, Test batteries, like to know if they're good or bad, and it like could connect into the phone and like read phones and like this is the machine. So I'm in there like trying to figure out the machine, and this other guy walks up to me, one of the other employees, and he says, "Hey, hey, do you know how to use a Celebrite machine?" And I was like, "No, I'm uh, no, I'm obviously trying to get a job here, man." And then the customer now is looking at me like, "You don't work here," <laughs> and I'm like, "I'm just no, I'm just doing what I'm asked. Like I'm trying to figure this out. Like, do, do you, what does this machine do?" And he's like, "Well, that, that's a contact transfer machine." <laughs> That doesn't even <laughs> test batteries. And I'm like, well, how do you test batteries? He's like, we don't test batteries here. I'm like, what do you mean you don't test batteries here? Like, that seems like something a cell phone store should have. Mm-hmm. So uh, with all of that boldness and recklessness and, I guess, go-getterness. You got the job. I got the job. Yep. That's impressive. If uh, somebody put a gun to my head today and said, walk into Verizon, where I am a customer, and said, sell anything you have a week, <laughs> that'd be it for me. I yeah. I would not be able to do that. <laughs> I look back at that and I think like if we were to ask our team members to do that, that's kind of a, ridic- a ridiculous ask. And the fact that I almost was successful, like almost <laughs> found a way to help the person, like legitimately the test for a battery is to take it out and spin it on a flat surface. And if it spins, then it's yeah. swollen, throw it in the trash and buy a new one. Like if not, we don't know what's going on with your battery. Like, it's pretty pretty simple technology. But uh, Okay, so you get your first on the up and up sales job at yeah. Sprint. Uh, talk to me about that learning curve. Was it, yeah? Was it everything that you had kind of trained yourself for of selling donuts and Pokemon, or was it a whole different world? Um, great question. Yeah, it was. It, sales is kind of the same process over and over and over and over again. Like that actually doesn't change. A person comes to you with a problem, and you hear them, and you say, "Does this thing that I have solve their problem?" And if it does, then you just build trust with that person. And then if you build trust with them, they should buy it. Like it's kind of like, it's just a simple process. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of those things that really helped me uh, to understand customers. Now I grew up a lot at that job. It was, it was a first okay. real job, right? You know, I'm, I'm 19 years old, uh, 19, 20, 21 working there. And uh, there's something about like getting your first apartment and, and being newly married and working a job and, and wanting to be ambitious and trying to grow up in the organization. Um, I was very aggressive, I, I like I had to make money, so uh, base pay at the time was seven dollars and fifty cents minimum wage, something like that. I think that's what it was seven twenty five, seven twenty five. And then I remember I I stayed there for a very long time. I actually never got a raise there, and made commission. But I mean, to, to if you do the math, you have to make a lot of commission, and and at that time, commission was maybe maybe twenty thirty percent of your paycheck. 
So like you got two normal checks per month and you got a commission check that you just work as hard as you can to make that check big because if it wasn't large or if sales were down that month, then that means like Merlin and I don't get to go eat out that one time that one month, right? Like like it, numbers were tight, really tight. And so like you, <laughs> when you're motivated to provide for someone, like I'm going to sell whatever I need to sell in the store. I'm going to do whatever is asked of me to, to sell. Um, or, and then in my case, I got really aggressive. And so I started... Um, answering the phone quicker than other people. And I know that sounds like obvious, like just answer the phone, Zach, but I would like keep it in my pocket. And like everyone around the store had phones, like everyone had their own phone, but they would leave it at their desk. And I realized that if I could put it in my pocket, I could pick it up and answer it faster than everyone and I would get more sales. Okay, technically true. Not a team player, right? So I clashed heavily with management at that organization um, while I was, you know, killing it in the numbers and crushing sales. Uh, people didn't like working with me. There were multiple, multiple scenarios where I was written up, multiple scenarios where um, I put me and my family first over the good of the organization. And and um, yeah, there was, there was a lot of a lot of problems there. A lot, a lot of bummer things that I look back on. I was like, man, Zach, if you had just listened. Yeah, leadership wasn't the best. Things were problematic. The system didn't really set team members up to like, do what they needed to do or to make the money. They were motivated to sell even, even in bad situations, right? You had to like pressure people into sales. So there's things there. But if I were to, if I were to look back, that was a grow-up period of how to be a team player, and I failed and uh, was almost fired multiple times. So I've got to ask, did you hit your sales goal? Did you hit your, your 50K with your, ask your commission? No. <laughs> Highest income I ever made at Sprint. Let's see here, $36,000 a year. I feel like that's still uh, admirable for a seven twenty-five an hour plus yeah. commission. Yep, uh, I definitely know I was the highest commission earned person at the company. Uh, not the company in the state of Idaho was the reports that I had, so I had the reports to 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 know the numbers. I, I eventually got promoted to an assistant manager, which didn't come with a raise. Funny story. That's uh, oops, I shouldn't have done assistant that. Assistant to the manager. Assistant to the regional manager. Um, and yeah, d- that didn't happen in. And it was frustrating. And and I remember looking at the numbers and, and that's kind of what it came down to is is had to make more money. Like just just needed to make more life starting to cost more. You know, I, I come from a family that had more money. And so you just, you're used to certain things and, it, and that's not my parents' fault at all. It just, it, some of that kind of put some drive into me. Like, no, I want to go and provide and be generous and, and bless people and, and help my kids go to college debt-free, right? That would be a really cool thing. Um, except for they're not going to go to college. College is changing, but um, they might go to college. I will be open-minded. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, so Sprint yep. ultimately doesn't work out. You're not Correct. there anymore. Tell yeah. me about what exiting Sprint was like and what was next for you. Yeah, we uh, there was a company called BOE that actually was a vendor for Sprint. They provided the mm-hmm. printers, and they're owned by Xerox. And uh, I remember looking <laughs> this man, all the, all the things you look back on, you look at the red flags and you're like, yeah, they didn't want me there. <laughs> and when I looked at it and I said, Hey manager, uh, Mike was his name. I said, Mike, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at doing something different. I don't think this is going to work out. Like I need to make more money for my family. And Mike looked at me and said, Zach, I totally hear you. I think BO would be a great fit for you. <laughs> First thing that he said, and we were thinking, wait a second, he didn't try to keep me at all. <laughs> so like, ah, shoot, there you go. That, that's a red flag for you. Um, but yeah, I went and interviewed at Xerox, which is a B2B, so it's not it's not business to consumer like Sprint is. You know, Sprint is is a company selling to anyone that walks in the door. Xerox is you help businesses with their document solutions. So it'd be copiers, printers, faxes, those types of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
very different world. You move from like easier relationship based selling to like where you can where you can go through the sales cycle in twenty minutes and you're done. To you're working on a big copier deal for a multi location ag company, and you know what I mean. The numbers are way larger, and you have to know their IT guy and facilitate the CFO with the CEO with the IT director to make sure all of this works and the reality is the decision maker was the front desk person and you didn't realize that because they're the one that uses the copier and they don't want that brand because they don't want to learn a new brand it just was a much more convoluted difficult industry uh, but it made more money <laughs> which was cool they, they they paid us more but it was high stakes you hit your quota or you are fired um, and it was and it was really professional if Sprint was professional Xerox was corporate as, as you can get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bigger stakes. Makes yep. sense. Yep. What, um between Sprint and BOE, did you ever get your your nose bloodied in a way that it actually, uh, in the moment, meant something where it wasn't just in hindsight, you learned a lesson? What was, what was something that you really learned in the moment at those sales jobs? Okay, I'm going to tell you one story about the first organization that taught me how to not do something. Um, I, When I worked at Sprint, a customer came in and there was a policy that you typically wouldn't take cases off people's phones for them because if you take the case off and you break it, then you're responsible. But if the customer takes the case off, then they broke their own case. And I was very good at what I did. I, I also applied screen protectors. We weren't supposed to apply screen protectors, but I always offered to do it. And, and I had a policy that if I broke it, I'll pay for it. Like, it's not a big deal. Like they would sell us things at, at a reduced cost so we could do things like that. But even that <laughs> that whole process, like don't put screen protectors on customers' phones because we could be liable. That's just bad thinking. But there was this one time I took off a LG case, a little purple case. I totally remember the, the color and, and I snapped it, pulling it off, and I just was like, bummer. Okay, whatever. So that cost me 12 bucks, whatever, to to fix that. And I and I looked at the lady and I said, Hey, I'm so sorry I broke your case. I, I fixed the thing on your phone. Um, I'll give you a new case. Like, I'm so sorry I didn't mean to break it. And the girl was like, Oh, no big at all. I'm like, no, don't worry about it. So I walked over to the to the inventory and I grabbed one and I pulled it out of the box and I put it on her phone and I handed it to her and I put the box in my desk. And I and forgot to go pay for it and ring it up. And it was sitting in my desk with the case and everything. A month later they were doing inventory and they were counting it and we were short an LG whatever case. And I literally spoke up and said, oh, is it black? And I said, yes. I said, the case is in my desk. I need to pay for that. I forgot to pay for that. And they wrote me up and almost fired me because they thought I was stealing from the company. Mm. And I literally said, guys, oh. <laughs> I spoke up. Like I told you. Like, I, like I, I told you I was trying to take care of the customer. The story pans out. Like you can go look at the account. They have an LG phone on the account. Like, what are you talking about? And uh, I literally got written up a manager and I got called from the district manager and that like legitimately almost got fired at that time. And in that moment, I thought, if I ever have a team member or a friend or an employee, whatever, that owns up to something, I will never, ever, ever crush them or write them up or scold them when they know, like, and arguably I did what was right by the customer. Like that customer left happier. They got a free case and I owned it, right, for the company. And so I remember thinking, don't uh, don't don't treat your people that way. Dang. Yeah, that one sucked. <sighs> that just made my palms sweat when you said <laughs> all the chain of command calling you to yell at you. Um, not many times in my life have I had that, but it's always uh yeah, super nerve-wracking. Um, so what what happened after BOE? What came after that? Yeah, BOE. Um uh, 
tough season at BOE. Uh, we, so I was fired at BOE, full disclosure. Um, I, I didn't hit quota the second year. And if you don't hit quota when you're a part of a $20 billion organization, Chicago fired me. My, not my local managers. Chicago sent a message saying this guy's got to go. Okay, great. Um, so then I was pretty broken, pretty mm, hopeless. Um, you know, but you get pretty humbled at that point, right? It was very alone. It was very um, siloed from the Boise location, which was our, our main headquarters. So we were like a satellite branch. And so, you know, there was a ton of churn in our, in our office, you know, technicians were leaving. And so the culture was difficult, you know, and so you're by yourself. So I just didn't do well. And, and that was frustrating. And so, um, we had a competitor that in this market kicked our, kicked our butt, uh, when I worked with BOE and, and I kept thinking, why does this guy always win the deals? Like, how does he get this pricing? Like, how does he get these, like, I don't understand what's going on. So, uh, we used to joke and make fun of that company at BOE, right? Like, you, you know what I mean? You, you joke about your competitors. I'm sure most companies do that. And, and, uh, and so I humbled myself, called them up and said, can I have a job? <laughs> and, uh, I was, is doing a, a side gig on the side. I had a bet with a friend, uh, to, to make 10 grand on a side hustle. And so I was running a moving company on the side. And, uh, when I got fired, I don't know what it was, but the month that I got fired, I had a bunch of jobs hit. And so it kept me busy for that month. And we didn't exactly have a lot of money in savings. Um, cause we're still not making a lot of money and, and, um, uh, it was <laughs> a crazy month. And then I started a job. I was fired March 1st and started April 1st, uh, at integrated technologies, which is a local it and Xerox and yeah, now cloud computing type software company. Sorry. I, I do want to back up a little bit because that's not, um, I would say that's kind of an unconventional wager to have with a buddy of who can make 10 grand first. Uh, can you can you illuminate that a little bit? Yeah. Okay. So, man, it's funny when you tell these stories. Okay. So you look back. Uh, even when I was at Sprint, I was a part of an internal mastermind group, internal of my friends, uh, business buddies. We we were a group of guys, and we don't meet anymore. But the whole goal was we wanted to be better people. Uh, we wanted to to um, be wiser, be kinder, be more generous, be um, I don't know. Someone that someone else would look up to, right? If you want to look at it that way. And so we read tons of books and we met regularly and we challenged each other, prayed together, those, those types of things. And, and, uh, during that time, so I was reading lots of books and just growing the whole time. And a lot of them are entrepreneurial books. So, and you know what I mean? And I always had these things in my brain. Like if you look back, the thread was always there. I, 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 I always did it. I just never owned it. Um, until kind of BOE timeframe and, and getting fired and starting the moving company. But, but that bet was first person to make $10,000 uh, gets bragging rights. <laughs> I guess it's, it's bro code. I'm better than you or something. Like, I don't know. There was no money involved or anything like that, which there should have been. That would have been great. <laughs> uh, made it more competitive. Um, and so we, yeah, we, I, I started a moving company and he started a snow removal business and I built websites for both companies. And, and, and my brother helped me with the moving company one and I built, uh, my buddy Jeff's with his snow removal business. Mm -hmm. And, and it was, it was, we both just went, went for it. And we both made 10 grand that year on a side hustle, which is the craziest thing. Like to look back and like we did on the side. And I think I did like six or yeah, 6,000 or so in that month when I was fired. Why a moving company? I don't know. Because for reference, 
you started sales because you didn't like to see your brother laboring in the sun and and tilling the earth oh, and mowing. Oh I don't know. And so your idea is to do the same thing, but moving other people's It seemed stuff. easy to me. Um, I, I actually don't know why I picked moving. If I look <laughs> back on it, it was just a thing like I had, I had to pick something simple. And so in the market, I knew movers notoriously aren't great companies. Like they're not excellent service people. They're not excellent communicators. And so I knew that if I could answer the phone and smile and do what I say I'm going to do, that it wouldn't be hard to get the work. Makes sense. Um, and I think, I think most service-based businesses are that way, truthfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, but specifically in, in trades, you know, it's, it's tougher. Uh, and the moving companies, like that, you pick up heavy things and you put them down. It, you know, it's not exactly glamorous. Um, but yeah, we did it and we, rounded up all my friends and paid them way too much and didn't make any money, but we did it. So who won the bet? The um, seasonally specific one or the one that moves stuff? I honestly don't know if we looked at it of who got there first, but who actually accomplished it. Because we both hit it and we looked at each other and we're like fist bumps. Like it wasn't a I'm better than you type thing. Mm-hmm. I think we the reason we made the bet was because of that. As soon as we both achieved it, we both looked at each other like, oh my gosh, this is possible. Yeah. Like we can actually do this thing. And then I, yeah, didn't want to do it anymore because it's moving, you know, that sounds not fun. Yeah, it's the thing that you were avoiding from the beginning. Uh, Physical labor, you're <laughs> absolutely correct. So integrated technology, yeah. you're, you're doing a similar job to BOE, mm-hmm. selling B2B. Yeah enterprise level equipment. Yep. How did that job end? And yeah, good question. Was there about 18 months? Um, awesome company. Awesome company. I, I give them all of the credit. They were very kind and very generous with me. Um, good people too. Uh, it, yeah, it was, it was great uh, working there. I learned a lot about teams and how teams work. So I, I learned that a lot throughout the process, right? So failed at Sprint because I had terrible teamwork. Uh, failed at uh, BOE because the teamwork actually wasn't there. I, at that point, I was, how do we make this work, guys? Like, we have to hit these numbers. And, and, it, and the system actually wasn't set up to help people succeed. And it integrated, it was both. There was teams that were working together and making mm-hmm. things happen. And then you had a system that helped you win and you had a leader who cared about you, who would empower you, who'd let you do the thing that you wanted to do without problems. Like, so it's kind of interesting. I got to see the full circle and I realized, okay, so this is the type of organization that I, that I want to build. Um, and so I, I, when I started it integrated, I also started Rhino Media. Um, and I, we can dive into that. But basically it was a, um, I knew I didn't want to work for another company after being fired. Like, that hurts. If anyone's been fired like that, that's a sucky thing. And so uh, I, didn't, I didn't want to do that. And I wanted to make the difference in other people's lives, right? I wanted to do something. And my brother was a web developer at the time. And so I was trying to be sensitive of him as he was, you know, working in, in the same market. And uh, ultimately what I was doing was I was trying to do services different than his. I was trying to do more marketing services, not web design services. And he was doing web design services. And so I was doing that on the side while working in integrated technologies. And I did very well in integrated, uh, made more than 50K. Uh, I, I hit that number. Um, yeah, and, uh, and, and, and did a lot of deals, a lot of contracts. I'm super thankful for that time. Um, we were having babies, you know. Uh, you know, our children were, child was born, Joel was born during that time. And um, that was... Uh, a crazy time. Like it was just so much work and so hard and was, you know, doing Reinhardt on the side. And Reinhardt was, 
not doing much revenue. I mean, it might have been doing 5K. I think in its first year ever, I think it did 32,000 its first year, which was 20, oh snap, 15? 2015, it did 32,000. That's when I was working on the side. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> going back, you in these sales jobs, you kept referencing, um, I would never do that to a team member or... Uh, when I'm running something, I would operate this way. When, how long had that been in your head of eventually I'm going to run something, eventually I'm going to found something, eventually I'm going to have my own team? Has that just been your entire life? Was that yeah. sucky sales jobs? Where'd that come from? Um, uh, that goes back to as little as I remember. Um, I remember first grade being like, I remember, I remember, I tend to look at organizational structure a lot and I look at um, leadership dynamic. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to first grade and sitting in that class and watching the teacher talk to the class and watching how they would control the room and watch how they would um, get kids like me to act better or, or quiet kids to get engaged. And, and it was always super intriguing with me. I knew I would lead something. I didn't know to what extent, but I, I've, I've known since, I mean, I just, I was just there. Mm-hmm. I would, I would love to say something happened. And I was like, oh, look, let's do this. It, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd say I was born with it, but it, it, I just since I was young, as young as, young as I could remember, I wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, skipping forward, you're you're at BOE first mm-hmm. year, Reiner Media side hustle. It yeah. does thirty two thousand dollars. Yeah, integrated. Roughly. Yeah, integrated. Uh, integrated yeah. Excuse me. That's not that's not a bad side hustle. Better than than yeah. moving. You know. Yep. Moving furniture, right? Yep. So what? where were you finding your customers? Were you using contacts from you know past sales jobs? Were you knocking on doors? Were you running your own ads? Yeah. Uh, it's all, all relationship-based. I was, I was attending a, a leads group. It, it was interesting. Um, so I attended Snake River Business Network Group, uh, which they're, they're awesome people. Uh, still running if you want to check them out. Uh, but basically... Yeah, I, I went. I was attending there, but I was also representing Integrated Technologies. And and first and foremost, I wanted to serve Integrated Technologies. That's that was my employer. That's where I worked, and so they they got the attention. So as long as I was hitting quotas with Integrated Technologies, like I, I that's where the moral compass was for me. Of like, hey, I don't want to steal time from my employer. I, th- I think that's not okay, um, or resources or anything like that. Um, the thing, the thing was, is I they let me moonlight. They let me do that, and that was very kind of them. Um, I don't think that should be for every company, but I think that was very kind of them. Um, they also serviced some web clients. They had a web guy in the past that worked for them, and they had some customers that uh, needed help, and they uh, didn't have that guy anymore, and so they started sending him to me. And so I picked up a, quite a few customers early on that were integrated technologies customers that I would service on the side. Mm-hmm. And so they were just they were generous. They helped give me customers. Yeah, that's a, that's extremely generous. I would say yeah. most companies wouldn't uh, be keen on fulfilling the side hustle of one of their salesmen. <laughs> yeah, that you know, feeding them leads to eventually lose them. That's um, yeah, good for them. It it that's why I'm so uh, thankful for them. I I look at it, and, and Mike was also the the name of the the owner and manager at, at Integrated. Um, it but they were very generous, very kind with me. And I look at it, and him and I had a lot of friction about that, you know. Not, there was 
I, I don't understand a leader that could do that, to be, to be honest. So shout out to them. Again, like I, I, I would struggle with that. Um, and that's just because I, I believe solely in like the mission that we're trying to accomplish. And that doesn't mean there's other things that aren't good, but like I just, you know. Um, and, and I think he saw a lot of what we could have built if, if I would have stayed there. Um, we talked about those things and, and there was things that uh, did look good there. The timelines didn't hit that, you know, in, in ways that I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Mike was still building that thing and, and his partner, Scott was building the IT side. And, and, and so there, there were just multiple things going on there. And I just knew that that probably wasn't the right path for me. So there was friction, but they were very kind and very generous. And I don't, I also don't know if they thought like, uh, it's not going to turn into something like just, just let it be, it'll fizzle out or something like that. But I don't know. So eventually you're full-time Rhino media, yeah. right? What was that? the decision to finally make the the jump to that were you over prepared were you under prepared that's kind of you're you're yep. only ever one or the other yep under prepared um october 28th was my last day 2000 i'm terrible with years i actually look think back on my life like i'm not good at years either 2016 or 2017 i think it was i think it was 2017 i don't know um yeah 2017 and uh, was my was my last day. Um, I was planning on doing it at the end of the year. I was going to go through Christmas and 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 you know work finish out the year and do two years at Integrated Technologies. One of that, but part of that was just trying to honor Mike and their team and those people because they were they were generous, they were kind, they were they were very helpful and 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 it was wonderful that way. Um, but. Uh, yeah, underprepared. I had ten thousand dollars in savings, and I was a part of my mastermind group with my friends, my buddies. That that still today we challenge each other to do things. And uh, they said, "Zach, why are you waiting?" And I was like, "Well, it's just well, I want to treat these people right, and to be transparent, I would love more money in savings. Like, and also fourth quarter is always a good time. Businesses are always uh, spending money in fourth quarter." Maybe not on copiers all the time, and and document solutions, and software, and printers, uh, but people spend money at the end of the year to reduce expenses. And uh, so kind of waiting out for that. And uh, there eventually was a conversation that uh, was less than ideal at work. And it was, it was, uh, I was still hitting my quota, but they wanted me to put in more hours. And I said, I'm doing what you asked me to do. And I'm doing this on the side. What's the problem? And they said, it's not enough anymore. It's got to, it's got to, you know, got to work for both parties. And I said, okay, well, if that's the case, then, October 28th will be my last day and I got to do this. It's, it's obviously going somewhere. Like I got to try. And I think our <laughs> revenue at that point had all been project-based revenue. There was no like retainer or recurring-based revenues. It was all like, here's a website for, you know, you'd sell a website for 1200 bucks back then and you'd work for 40 hours building something like that. It was not good money. But um, so yeah, uh, 10 grand in my, in my bank account and left and um, had a baby on the way as well. And yeah, a mortgage and family and a few customers that had bought from us in the past, but there's no guarantee that they would buy again. So is that with both kids? One kid on the, yeah, one kid. But born, both one kids kid had a, you were at a big inflection point. Both times, yeah. Of, I don't have a job right now, I got to make something happen or I've got something <laughs> yeah. in front of me, but got to make the most of it. Uh, yeah, nothing makes you flap your arms harder than falling, so... Merle and I joke about this. If you look at our life and you write it on paper, it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, every major decision we've ever made in our life is because it was a 
we, we use the phrase big faith, bet the farm thinking. And it was just like, okay, we're ready to buy this house and we had no money, no down payment, but it's like, all right, we'll finagle it, make it work. And it was like, hey, you want to have a kid now? It's like, cool. Well, work's pretty rocky right now. Okay, let's do it. And and Marilla has no problem, um, I don't know, I guess believing in me and saying, yeah, you can figure it out. Like, you'll do it. Like, go for it. And I give her all the credit for that because she uh, she's very encouraging and very supportive and, and believes in me to do those things. So, I mean, all of those situations... Uh, we we get led by peace. And those moments when you're making those ridiculous decisions, you stop and you look at the data and sometimes you have to take the data and throw it into the trash because you know in your gut that it's like, nah, this is meant to be, let's go. Mm-hmm. What was that first uh, full-time year of Rhino Media like? <laughs> New baby, yeah. second baby. Yeah, second baby on the way. Uh, it, it, was, it was fun. It was exciting. Uh, we did find early success, and so I saw hope real quick. Um, when you know, when you have ten grand in the bank and you need to pay your bills, you know and I mean, I think our monthly budget for a household at the time was thirty five hundred bucks, something like that. I mean, it gives you three months to make some things work, right? And if not, then I'm getting a job somewhere. Um, and hopefully, you sell some things a long way and can make that runway a little longer. Um, but yeah, we I I went door to door. Uh, on that first day, I signed three con- three contracts. That first day, um, which I look back and I'm like, I don't know if I could do that today. <laughs> like <laughs> on your best day, yeah. <laughs> like I, I was like, that's that's well done. Um, and uh, there were three local small businesses here in town, and I love them dearly. And um, there's always a special place there for for those three people. And uh, each contract was 300 bucks a month, and we built them a custom website and did some marketing services for them. And and so basically, you collected the money. And he did the work. And so what would happen is like building three websites is a ton of labor, like you know, 60 hours a piece roughly. And so depending on the type of website, and for me, it's probably twice that because I was slow. Um, and so uh, I'm building that, I'm working. And so you'd sell the website and you'd do contracts and work on that for like two, three weeks typically, like you'd be doing some sales. And then you would go and you'd build, which would take like a month, month and a half. And so the sales, if you look in the first year, they just like go up and down, up and down, up and down because you could see the sales cycles of me going out and selling, getting the business coming back in and fulfilling the work, going out and getting the business coming back in and fulfilling the work. So at what point did you add another team member? Because if somebody looks at that graph, it's real easy to say, well, your salesman shouldn't be fulfilling your orders, right? Yeah. You can only grow as fast as cash when you don't use debt. And so that, that was the thing is, is, you know, if anyone wanted to invest back then, I probably would have taken it. Um, <clears throat> uh, that's funny. October, October 28th has started. I uh, needed a designer and my brother-in-law's, let's see here, my sister-in-law's brother. That's what it was, my sister-in-law's brother. I knew kind of did graphic design a little bit. I knew he was living in Meridian at the time and was moving back to Twin Falls and kind of wanted to reset in Twin and, and look at his life there. And so I Facebook messaged him and said, Hey, would you consider doing contract design work? And he was like, uh, I'll think about it. <laughs> he, and I told him like, it's a startup web company. Like we don't know what we're doing. Like, you know what I mean? I said, but it, it's going to be awesome. Let me tell you, it's going to be grand. I promise if you, if you'll sign it up, it's going to be glorious. You know, you start selling yeah, good salesman <laughs> and it's got to, it's got to work. It's got to be good. And, um, it's funny cause you go to, uh, you, you know, you fast forward and it's funny how things work out, but, um, and he actually was interviewing for a job at, uh, what kickback rewards. Wow. Yeah. At that time. And he didn't tell me that <laughs> he actually wanted to work there and not at Reinerd. He didn't, get 
the job at Kickback. Okay. And so he messaged me back and said, yeah, I'll do some contract work. Yeah. His safety, so, safety school. Yeah. <laughs> safety job. So that's how uh, we started contracting and that was the first guy. We did that for two months and then um, after that I brought him on as a part-time employee and then after that full-time pretty quick. I think it was four, four to six months and he was fully onboarded full-time. So walk me through the next couple of years. What were um, the growing pains that you guys had? Yeah, ma- managing cash and growth. So first year, you know, revenues were... 32k second year was 111 something like that and that's when you know Eli started and, and then they began to double year over year for the next four years um, roughly and and uh, growing pains hurt uh, it's hard it's hard to grow because you have to when organizations double in size their processes and their procedures change and, and most and spe- specifically in a, in a service-based company that's even more true Um so yeah, uh, we would figure something out and then we would grow so much that that thing that we figured out didn't work anymore and we'd have to try again <laughs> and re- rebuild the thing and then promote people and and uh, we'd always protect our hiring process greatly. Like we wanted to build a good team. I knew I wanted that from the beginning and so we 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 protected our process and and got good people in the door and and then we let them build cool things. You know, I'm I'm not really a micromanager type leader. I've I I'm kind of crazy. I have high standards and there's things that I that I find a ton of value in that sometimes people don't see. And I think those little things sometimes really work out for the company. And I think sometimes it's a total miss for the company. Uh, but I think more often than not, we've been lucky and we've been right and that's worked. Um, but yeah, growing pains are hard. Like just part of it. We lost a, a, the biggest client of our life. Let's say it that way. Uh, at the time, you know, it was the it was the customer you wanted in in this area, in, in our in our world, and um, and we made a simple mistake on like a credit card expiration issue, like a little mm. credit card expired and some ads stopped running and revenues fell and it was a problem, and uh, we lost that big client and it was solely because of growing pains. We didn't have the process in place to prevent something from happening in case of a human error, which we're in the service based business, so human errors on every project. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, growing pains hurt and you lose and you lose and you learn. Yeah. That mentality that you referenced of hire good people yeah. and then just cut them loose out to pasture to do good work. Does that from rough teams at Sprint, rough management yeah. at BOE, is that a Dave Ramsey-ism? Where, where yeah. does that come from? Yeah, good question. I'm big Dave Ramsey fan. Uh, I, you know, I read all of his stuff and listen to basically everything he says. Um, so I've learned a lot from him. So yeah, absolutely. Check him out. He, he, he talks a lot about his hiring process. Um, yeah, I, I really love to treat people like you want to be treated. And in all of those organizations, um, in sprint, I was young and dumb and reckless. I still had a lot of good bones though. There was a lot of good things there. And I knew that if, if, if they would just trust me and believe in me, like we could have made that work. Now I realize I probably would have left a few skeletons in the closet or whatever along the dead bodies along the way. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's things there that, that they were wise to not promote me. Uh, and then at BOE, yeah, you know, I saw big organizations work, but, but I also wanted to be trusted there too. And then, it, and then it integrated, they did trust me a lot more. And so I knew that if, and also integrated, they had really good people. They had really good people there that had been there like 20 years. Like all of them were like 10 plus years. It was crazy to me. There was a few newer people, but of their like staff of 25 ish, I think 18 were over 10 years long. Mm. 10 and I thought that's a miracle. How'd you do that? I want to know about those people. And so, yeah, good people is a key to any business. Mm-hmm. 
So you're a couple years in, you're running a marketing agency in a, a relative to the rest of the country, a relatively small ag backbone community. Yeah. Uh, the joke is, welcome to Idaho, set your clock back 50 years. Uh, is that, uh, most people would look at that and say, there's not a market. Um, did you look at that the same way as moving company of, oh, well, there's opportunity. It's it's ripe for the taking. You just need to take care of people. Was that the heart? Um, did you did you see big opportunity or was it just, this is where I live, this is where I'm going to do this thing? I think I got lucky. Um, I didn't. I didn't study the market. I didn't start the business with like a competitor analysis. Let's just say it that way. Um, looking at those types of ventures now, I absolutely would do that without <laughs> without doing that. Um, I had a a a close person in my life say that I, he didn't think a, a web agency would work in this market, and my brother's business didn't take off in this market either um, for various reasons. It just it, and there hadn't been a big marketing agency here. Like in, it just wasn't a thing. Um, and so I didn't look at any of that data, but I had a chip on my shoulder when someone told me I couldn't do something. That's that's kind of a thing with me. If you tell me I can't do it, I, I'm one of those people that's just like, okay, watch this. Um, kind of in anything, even in something I'm like not good at, like I'll try and, and go for it. Um, but yeah, I had a chip on my shoulder and, and I didn't really care what the market said. I didn't really care what uh, people said. I knew that I was going to go make it happen. I knew I could sell, and if I go one by one by one by one, it's only a matter of numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Have you um, felt at all the the limitations of the market in trying to sell a product that or a service that the market may not be ready for yet? Hmm. Uh, Twin Falls is definitely behind on on some of the you know more modern marketing services. Um, I, I wouldn't say we ever had pushback or we ever felt you know, stagnated uh, when it comes to our products and our growth. Like we've always had more, more work than you could possibly fulfill mm-hmm. at all times since the day we started, uh, which is a huge blessing. And, and we're thankful for that. Um, there's always been insane amounts of opportunity. And I think there always will be like, I'm one of those people. Um, I had a customer recently in a meeting in a sales meeting, uh, say he, he creates his own economy. And I thought that was bold. I thought that was slightly arrogant, and I loved it um, uh, because I think I would have said something like that if I was him in, in that stage in his life. And and uh, I still believe that. I think like even in pandemic and even in in good times and bad times, like there's people to help. Like go look for the people that need help. It's not like business is not hard. Like do a good product or a good service and find people that need it and offer it to them at a fair price. If it's the most competitive industry in the world, just drop your price a little bit. Like I, I think there's there's levers that you pull that make things happen, and um, I've never felt limited by our market. And and one thing that's weird in our industry is a lot of people think we should grow digitally, right, nationally. And I've always loved working locally in our in our market and working with our people from our city where we live and and from Southern Idaho. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think I've ever been limited by that though. Yeah, that. We see that um, that mindset a lot with not just businesses, but with creatives. Yeah. Of the majority of of young creatives, uh, they leave this area 
to go find more creative cities. They go to Seattle, they go to Austin or LA or even Boise, just anything bigger. Um, That poses a significant challenge when you're trying to hire good people that um, are talented. So what's the what's the process there when you're in a little bit of a talent desert? Yeah, you find people doing things they hate that have a secret skill, and I don't know how to find those people, but we keep finding them. Um, I, I feel like we got lucky when it comes to hiring um, good people. Uh, Eli, I didn't know if he could graphic design. I didn't look at his work. I literally offered him the job over a Facebook message. I just needed some help, and I heard that he could do it. Mm-hmm. That worked out pretty pretty well. Uh, and then and then you move move along, and, and Eli has had some referrals to some some creative people that's worked out. Um, you uh, literally a week before you called us, uh, Eli and I had just decided we're not doing video production. Like, like Eli was doing that as I was selling it. And we looked at each other and we're like, dude, Eli, you and I both know you're not a video guy. Like, how about we don't do that? Let's, let's just not offer that. And we decided like, literally we're not doing that anymore. And then we get a call from you saying, Hey, you guys want a video guy? (laughs) And Eli looks at me and said, you got to hire this guy. Like this is a no brainer. And so, so we did that. And, uh, and you know, we've always been, um, keen on helping our people grow and developing our people. We've always wanted to, um, open up people's dreams to, to do the thing that they've always dreamed about doing. Um, a big part of Reinerd, the reason why I started it, that not a lot of people know is my brother um, is one of the most talented designers I've ever met. Like he can code, he can oil paint like Thomas Kincaid, if you know who that is, the painter of light, big old like beautiful landscapes. That's him. That was one that he did. Um, not one that he did. He can paint like him. Um, he can illustrate. He can animate. Anything he wants to do, he can do it. Watercolor, sketch. Like, it's, he's just ridiculous. Went to art school. Very, very talented. Um, logo design. Like, all of it. And uh, he didn't do so hot in this market. And it kind of made me angry um, because uh, I was kind of mad at the leaders in his life that didn't see that in him and didn't foster that and pull it out of him and say, you could do this. Like, just go for it. Cause that's all he needed. Like he just needed someone to say, you got this and give him a job and let him screw up a couple times. You know, he was trying to run his own company and, and, and make that work. And, and, uh, it just, it didn't work out for him on, on that level. And so I kind of want to take that relationship that people have with creatives. And I want to provide endless opportunities here for those types of people, because they deserve it and they have those giftings for a reason and businesses that suck at design need those people and why not just connect the gaps because it's easy for me to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you referenced it a little bit going through pandemic, affected a lot of yeah. businesses, a lot of small businesses. Idaho, um, I would say on, on the spectrum of the country and the world did okay um, with the stick-to-itiveness of a lot of businesses. Um, I say that with full understanding that a lot of the businesses closed and didn't reopen, and it was really hard for a lot of industries. Um, what would you do? Like when you watch that, you know, that first governmental live stream saying, hey, shut it down. What, um, what yeah. did you and the team, how'd you guys react to that? 
I reacted poorly. I kind of brushed it under the rug. We're conservative Idaho, so whatever. It's not going to affect us. Uh, we had a, a team member named Chase at the time. Maybe back in October, September time frame was like, guys, you need to be watching out for coronavirus. Like, watch the news. Like, that's going to hit America. And I remember being like, no, like, calm down. Like, we're fine. And then all of a sudden, you started hearing cases, you know, and then all of a sudden, it's in the United States. You're like, okay, what? what? And then you realize, like, oh, it's a growing thing, and it's starting to test everywhere. And and so when you got the news, March 21st or whatever that day was, kind of a sucky day, um, I was behind the times on what we would do. And so I remember leaving the office and going and listening to podcasts and like trying to make a decision on, on what that looks like, right? Like what we will do as a team. Uh, and ultimately we did decide to send our people home. Um, and you and I worked in the office cause I'm, I'm kind of like, well, if no one's there, I still need to get some stuff done and it can be safe and, and we'll go there. And you had a, <laughs> a computer that you couldn't take home at the time. So you came into work and, um, and I remember, I remember we started a daily standup actually through COVID, right? That's when we started our daily standup was when we had to jump on Zoom every day and we wanted everyone to just check in and just connect with each other. And and so we we went remote for six weeks and, and I remember during that time just communicating to everyone that like we are in a good financial position. Uh, if I remember thinking if we lose this much revenue, this is what would happen. If if this much revenue was lost, then this is what'll happen. I had those stages in my brain. I didn't effectively communicate those to the whole team, which in in hindsight, that's one of those things that I would tell someone to do in the next pandemic, like have have a little bit of a plan for the next pandemic. Just kidding. And in the next 115 years, um, but yeah, so we yeah we we got through it, and and I loved that time. I might be one of the the weird people on planet earth that was like, man, that was glorious. Life just shut down. Life is so busy and, um, and fast paced and rushed and, and full of things and, you know, booked calendars. Uh, everything stopped. And then, and obviously it was a scary time. Obviously there's health concerns, you know, people died. It's an awful, awful thing. Uh, but I started running like at home, like, it's a good thing for me, you know what I mean. It it just it was a it was a reset on that time, and and uh, that year was an interesting year. Uh, we doubled that year <laughs> on a on a revenue level and definitely on a team level. Uh, we picked up some some key people that year. That was kind of crazy. Thanks to COVID, we had two key people that I that I can think of now that are still on our team that were not a part of their organization because of COVID, whether it was political stuff or whether it was layoffs. Uh, those two people are elite level people that called us and said, can I work here? And I remember getting their applications thinking, no way these people applied. Are, are you joking? Like, how do we get these people? And then uh, I look at that thinking, ah, I was lucky again. But uh, to do that took a lot of faith. We spent all of our profit our recurring monthly profit on hiring key people, all of it. Like I remember looking at the budget thinking, well, we're going from making this much money per month to now making no money per month, but we have these really elite people. Maybe we can grow. Maybe they can make us those dollars back. Yeah, that's, it's just, it was a, it was a faith. It was a, it was a faith move. It was a gamble and yeah, it's working out. Yeah. So, um, you know, you've always had this founder mentality, this founder mindset since you were a little kid. Um, where 
would you say you have blind spots which, or your, um, you know, a weakness? Where are you weak as a founder? Yeah. Um, mm. I'm sorry to do it to on you. the episode. Uh, I have this close friend, well, friend is a strong word, acquaintance interviewing me right now. I'm just kidding. I'm teasing for a great friend. Um, who says I don't register my failures and, um, I think it's a it's a strength, but I also think it's a weakness, right? It's the idea that um, I, I don't want to remember my losses because life is better if all you do is win, right? Like it's just a better scenario in your head. Uh, but the reality is sometimes I should look back at the times that I've lost and look at really what I did wrong like and learn from those situations. I'm not the best at that. Um, also a thing on the founder mentality is I'm really blunt and really aggressive and I want to get stuff done and I can speak critically very, um, as a matter of fact, and, and that my opinion is law and that, um, yeah. And, and so in our organization, we've worked really hard to build candor and, uh, collaborativeness throughout the organization. Uh, and so I have to be very careful to not speak up on the wrong thing. Cause if I speak up on the wrong thing, it carries a lot of weight and can spin a department in the wrong direction mm -hmm. and that's dangerous. And so, uh, I would say I'm weak in that area. I've, I've grown a lot, but I'm still pretty weak in that area. Okay. How would you, um, describe the, the culture of Rhino Media? Because you've, you know, you talked about your, your particular, how you hire your particular, how you communicate with your team, how you lead. Um, what's the, what's been the result of that? Yeah, we got some incredible, incredible people that make up a great culture. How, how would I describe our culture? Well, the doc that we wrote that would describe our culture would be excellence, uh, fun and impact. You know, those are the three things that would define us. We, we have like extreme levels of quality in everything we do. Um, it is funny to me when I have to go to a, a creative on our team and say, I need you to spend less time on that thing to get it out the door. They look at me like, but Zach, that's not what we do here. And I look at them like, pay the bills? Yeah, we do. Let's go. Um, but the reality, though, is every single person on our team won't ship garbage work. Like, we just don't do that. And that's kind of been since day one, like, just high standards. That's very much who we are. And 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 then we want to have fun. Like, work doesn't have to, to suck. It doesn't have to be boring. And, and life should be fun. Like, if we're going to spend all this time at work, like, hire good people that you actually want to work with, right? Like work on products and projects that you actually want to do. Like don't just do it for the money. Like money will always come if you're helping people, right? Um, and, then the, and then the final thing is we want to make an impact and that's, and that's our culture of, of awakening the possibility in others is the phrase that we use. And that comes down to our people, right? So every creative that we hire and then we take that out and we put that to our clients, right? Our clients have these dreams and they come to us and they need help and they need guidance and uh, our job is to help make that real for them. Uh, we very much need their help in that process. Um, but yeah, our culture is is strong. And I know like, you know, we've had these conversations, if the internet shut down, what would we do? And uh, if we lost all of our revenue, what we do, what would we do? And, and I chuckle because I think like, ah, wouldn't be a problem. We got 19 as of right now, uh, people who could put their heads together and make this thing work real quick. Like, and so I think, I think when trials and problems come, we should deal with it, move yeah. on. Uh, that's definitely that entrepreneurial mindset. You know, we always joke that entrepreneurs, uh, like presidents of the United States, they're a little 
busted in the head. Uh, you have to be a special 100%. kind of crazy to to say to 19 people, hey, if uh, if all the money disappeared tomorrow, I know we'd figure it out. You guys are smart. Uh, a lot of those other 19 people might not feel that way. Um, that's uh, and maybe that's something that you've always had. For me, that's something that would take a long time to 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 build up. Um, what what would you tell young Zach on day one of Reiner Media? Now with all of that perspective, mm. now being able to say to 19 people, we'll figure it out. Um, what would you tell day one, Zach? Have more fun. Uh, huh. God. Yeah. Uh, stress less. Lost all my hair in 2020. That was, that was a year that was that was more stressful. Um, yeah, enjoy enjoy the process. Enjoy the journey. Like, it's really interesting. Um, you climb one mountain. And you double your revenue, and you climb one you know one mountain, and you double your revenue, and you hire these types of people, and you climb this mountain, and you double your revenue. There's always another flipping mountain that you can see that's higher, um, over there, and you have to go back down your flipping mountain and climb back up that other mountain. Like that journey, like never ends. Um, and so, um, if I were to look back and tell Zach, I would say, hey, you're doing fine. Your worth isn't defined in what you do, right? That's a big thing with me that I have to watch out is I look at what we accomplish and I define my value based on that. And so my ability to impact people is my worth in life. And that's not true. Like that's not a, a true statement. Um, and so I have to separate my value from what we accomplish. And I just want to help as many people as we can along the way. So I would say, yeah, stress less, have some fun, shoot more party cannons. Yeah, have, have more fun. Is that what the next five years look like? No, there's a mountain that we're trying to climb. <laughs> no. Uh, I can quit whenever I want. I can quit whenever I want. It is an addiction. It is. Um, hmm. No. I, I, the, the, we are a lot more balanced now. I think I'm a lot more balanced. Um, I, I am probably more ambitious than, than we ever have before. Um, you focus it on different things. Right now, it's not necessarily on making payroll. Like that's covered. I'm pretty thankful for that. Uh, payroll is getting bigger, and we have to keep selling. But, um, but it, but at the end of the day, uh, I want to finish strong. I had a team member ask me, uh, "Why do you go to the gym during lunch hours?" I go to the gym during lunch. Just gonna throw that out there. Look at me, you know, flexing. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and the and my response was because I want to do this in 20 years. And so the thought is, I want to keep um, going. Like if I, if I have these giftings and if I can keep helping people and keep shaking one person awake, right? And helping them see what they can be and helping uh, a customer grow into something better. And if we can uh, help good businesses win and bad businesses fail, right? If we can help that, then like, I want to keep doing this till the day I die. And and maybe it's not around our media. Maybe there's different things, but um, Yeah. Can this is off scripts? Um, can a business owner, can a founder exist without vision? Everything you're talking about is you are making time for vision, you're making space for vision, yeah. um, looking, creating vision for your customers, which I would say isn't 
uh, very conventional uh, for your team members. Can can a founder, can somebody starting a business uh, do that without big vision? Yeah, I don't, I don't really think you can. Um, Bob says where, the, where there's no vision, the people perish. And I believe that. Like, uh, you know, <laughs> hope deferred makes the heart sick. Are all proverbs? They're you know I mean they're they're things that that we believe whether you, whether you believe it or not those are truths with people. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the problem with the pandemic is people lost hope, and all of a sudden you have the entire world going oh no what's going on and it's like man if the world would just open up and say you know what we've gotten through every pandemic so far right and that sometimes that's hard to grasp onto is mm-hmm. you know you have friends that are in hospitals and things like that or you're sick it's hard. Um, I don't think you can do something worth doing without vision. I think you could do something, but I think if, if you don't have a little vision or a little dream in your heart, then uh, why don't you go spend some time in a cabin in the woods and think about it or a beach, whatever whatever you need to do. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's something that, that every founder needs. Oh. Well, if ever there was a spot to end it, I think that's it. Zach, I'm going to say uh, your line. Thank you for coming on the show. <sighs> Appreciate you being here. Um, it was a blast to get to hear a lot of those early stories. I've um, heard a lot of them, but um, getting to actually dig into them was um, really rewarding. So I appreciate you regaling all of us with that whole story. Um, yeah. yeah, appreciate you being here. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. It's fun to be here. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, you know, th- thank you to all the kind people that are asking for this story. I kept telling Scott, like, no, I'm not getting on the podcast. Like, stop it. And I told him no multiple, multiple times. And uh, finally, he literally just put it on my calendar. It was like, P.S., you're filming this on Monday. And I was like, oh, I am? Okay. So it happens when you like delegate control. You like lose decision-making power. So here I am. Not making decisions. Not making decisions. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode and this season. It's a privilege to be able to bring you stories like Zach's. Our guests have ranged from base jumpers to bed builders, but they all had a common message. Take care of people. What are you doing to take care of your team and your customers? Life is short. Make a ruckus. Mm -hmm.